after all the storytelling is done, it's time to talk with the people that made it happen. Welcome to Behind the White Scarves. Well, we've talked a lot about the aspects of Cal that are challenging and take us to these very real and very uncomfortable places. But I do want to turn our attention to one of the, for lack of a better word, fun aspects of your uh, performances, Cal, which is, to me, there was such a kinetic quality to your delivery of Cal's lines you can practically see her theatrically sweeping her arms as she speaks and conducts each conversation she takes part in. In her first scene during the lunch with Penny and Ganny, I picture Cruella Deville's entrance in the original animation of 101 Dalmatians with Ganny, darling. Uh, do you <laughs> find yourself doing any physical acting along with your vocal performance to punctuate certain words or? Is there something of a self-discipline involved in voicing the words without necessarily moving your head and body around too much so your performance gets lost in the room? Sometimes, yes. And and for Cal especially, there was a particular performance that Alex had me base her on. Mm -hmm. And there was a manner of sitting and standing and holding the chin up particularly that went with that. Mm. And it's worth bearing in mind that because we record with a static mic, I can't do too much in the way of movement because if my distance from the mic varies too much, the sound's going to come out unevenly. So mm. to generate the energy for a performance, particularly if it's somebody who is quite a high energy person, as Calendula is, I do tend to do quite a bit of hand acting. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't have a webcam, so you can't see what I'm doing right now, but I am like fanning my hands out beside myself mm -hmm. which kind of just that there is something about me that's a little bit human dynamo I need movement sometimes to be able to keep energy rolling as a result the hands will often come into play and that I have noticed it's it's, it's when I'm just in conversation with people they just move a lot if I'm particularly excited and energetic about what I'm talking about but I have noticed that my hand movements are different depending on the character that I'm portraying at that particular point. So my gestures for Calendula tended to be quite sort of airy and uh, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's sort of a, a way of, of kind of dismissing everything with a flick of the wrist that I tended to do quite a lot in order to get <laughs> mm. that sort of, oh, yeah, whatever, um, <laughs> that, that sort of tone. And obviously there's... the audience doesn't get to see that. <laughs> We hear it, I can assure you, we hear yeah. it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping, so yeah. Yeah, it's the combination of she's simultaneously saying, talk to the hand, but she is also saying, I talk with my hand. Well, well, it's more like, talk to the hand, but also, look how shiny it is, look at my fancy ass <laughs> that's a fantastic point because like of course she is expressive with her hands because of all the finery attached yep. to them absolutely the rings and the polished nails and the bracelets mm. and the sleeves and yeah uh, absolutely it's, 
I've watched too much like nature documentaries recently because it's essentially <laughs> just sort of. She's that bird with the face <laughs> on its tail. Exactly, exactly. Just hopping around. <laughs> now, without spoiling, because I know that Alex plans things out in advance, I'm curious, based on everything that's occurred within Stone Spring Maidens and the fact that. You know, there is always a tendency to reuse characters in order to, you know, make the world feel lived in. If there is room for Calendula to return as a character with any significance, and if so, if there is a possibility for change, like happened with Haka at, well, obviously at the end of Tiger's Eye, but we're going to see a little bit more of him as well in later books. Or alternately, is it more likely that due to her nature, she'll never understand that what she did was wrong or that she won't get the help that she needs because it may not be something that she can solve internally, that she needs outside assistance in order to deal with her own stuff. Mm. Or indeed what she embodies for us, that she is somewhat best left in the past. Mm. I mean, you have read and heard enough of Alex's work to know that's almost always a possibility with his characters, <laughs> that, that people are nearly always capable of change, or at least the, the potential for change is there, shall we say. And I, I mean, personally, I would like to see Calendula develop um, and learn to be more honest with herself. That does take a level of bravery that she may not have. You know, mm. she she may just not have it. It may not be there. I think it's unlikely from how I have read the character up to this point, I think it is highly unlikely that she would reach that conclusion on her own. Mm. I think she is going to need another person to kind of kick her up to that level the question is who? Who would she need? What what kind of relationship and what dynamic would she need with that person to allow them to reveal that much of herself? It's certainly not Penny. Mm, and no. I, I don't even necessarily think that the uh, the separation from Penny and the, the manner in which Penny has left her would be enough. I think more than that, is likely to be necessary. But it depends how much more time we get to spend in the world of autumn, ultimately. Mm. I, I can't see Cal voluntarily coming to Century and no. getting involved in, in the stuff that's going on there. So mm. we'll see. Because we'll too much see. of her is wrapped up in the infrastructure of high society autumn. Absolutely, yeah. She'd, she'd be taking a huge risk to go somewhere that her social standing doesn't count for anything and like mm. i said I, do, I don't think she has that kind of bravery mm. i mean alternately and this would require a level of understanding of autumn society that i don't necessarily have at this point given not only the experience that she had with penny but the fact that probably after facing down mr white she possibly has ptsd Maybe she'd think to get herself some professional assistance if that exists mm. in autumn. Feasibly, yeah. And and mm. by seeking it for something that is relatively cut and dried and externally observable, 
you know, you, you've been through a trauma, you need to go and talk to somebody about it. Mm. It's entirely possible that that could be the crack through which she's able to start examining herself with more honesty. I feel like if we want to see what Calendula probably could be if she did uh, dig deeper into herself, I kind of see her and Mortimer as kind of variants on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, I mean, not just because they're both voiced by Sharon. Sharon, I love you. It's sort of like, how do I put it? They both deal in uh, what I call flashbangs. With Mortimer, it's a little bit more subtle because she's got more weapons and stuff like that, but it's more hidden. Like, Mortimer is just like this this pretty but serious-looking lady that you want to look at because she's pretty, but at the same time, you're like, oh, shit, I don't want to know what she has under that coat. Whereas with Calendula, <laughs> peacocking, and there's definitely something underneath that layer of shiny that you don't want to get into, but at the same time, you're curious about. Like, Mortimer is Calendula if she's more true to herself and kind of, like, the evol- in, in the way Mortimer evolves in, uh, in uh, um, The Princess Thieves, I think is what Calendula could become. In that she could be uh, definitely more of a force for good, but kind of like that hidden assistant. Like, if for example, they, they need to go back to Autumn and they need an inn, she could be all like, look, you know, you were my wife. We, we did have a good relationship here. And let me make this up to you by getting you in with, you know, X, Y, and Z. And we can, we can build from here. I kind of hope to see something like that happen. Mm. It's very, there's very much an ego there. There's very much that capability to manipulate and read people and like i said i feel like if she used it for good she could definitely be more like mortimer Mm. their colors are similar in that mortimer has this sort of vivid purple about her and uh cal has this very vivid pink Mm. and i do sort of see elements of the porcupine about both of them Ah, that they mm. they both carry these very vicious looking but pretty from a distance spines that are essentially there to cover up the fact that they are both quite brittle and vulnerable underneath. But by the same token, there is a distinct difference between Mortimer and Calendula in that Mortimer comes from a different place in society. Mm-hmm. She's able to enter the 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 noble world through her work basically she's more comfortable in the lower caste i don't necessarily know where she comes from along those lines but she's she also doesn't really have that much of an actual social circle which is why the princess thieves so to speak become the first group of not quite friends, but at least community that she even has. And Calendula, on the other hand, has a community. She has the community, so to speak, of the rich and powerful that will make it easier for her to backslide to a certain extent. She doesn't have to change because she she's supported by the power of her wealth and stations. Mm. So it has to be something that she actively wants to do rather than well i mean that the same is true of mortimer but yeah mm, the last but, uh, no thing... i think i think you're onto something there sorry toby i think you're onto something there greg because mortimer it lives in a world where she is not part of the social strata mm. she's certainly not a an accepted part of the social strata so she has already experienced a good portion of her life where she didn't have to make a decision to say i'm walking away from this 
privileged safety blanket mm. that happened if if it happened at all and and we know she comes from a family that was not poor mm. but whatever has brought her exactly but whatever has brought her to the place that she's in i would guess happened quite early in her life so she's mm. kind of already thrown caution to the wind on the this mm. is this is not a social structure that i want to be any part of and therefore she's already in a position of being able to build mm. her own framework yeah she's and already Cal, cut the safety net precisely and calendula hasn't done that and mm. like you say it's hard to see what would motivate her to do that mm. the last thing that i will say about calendula for now is that it feels like by the end of this book what she needs is an attar not Attar himself, but that kind of connection that Attar brings to Penny, that it's someone who can just look at what you're doing and kind of bring not only a look, you are like really fucking a lot of things up at the moment, but also manage to take that critique and ch channel and hone it into something constructive to mm. not necessarily say outright this is what you should be doing but to kind of say this is how things have been for you up till now and I am going to tell you like think about these pieces and do some self-reflection but it can't just be a living bullshitometer because it has to be something, someone that Calendula is willing to listen to. Mm, mm, there's the rub. Yeah. Mm. I, I do think, though, you have a point in, in the sense of not just Attar's personality, but also the, the relationship that he has with Penny, which is kind of a f close friend once removed because mm. his connection is more with Ganny, and Ganny is obviously the, the very close friend that Penny has. But the mm. I I don't think this is something that Calendula is going to get from a romantic relationship, no. because mm. the the nature of her the, the narcissistic traits that make her look at, at romantic relationships the way she does is that she can't have them without the bullshit. Mm. That that people will not love her unless she keeps the front up. To lower that, I think she has a lot of self-work to do before she is able to lower it rather than lowering it being part of the process of getting over it. And to be able to do that requires engagement with a person to whom she is important and that she can see that well enough to know that she can trust that person, question mark. But the, the being able to say that they have a secure enough sense of self that they can convey they care about her without her needing to hold up the front. Mm -hmm. To continue along with uh, the original question of, is there room for past characters to return? It was also in this book that we get to see a lot more of Agent Leeing Long as some of the behind-the-scenes stuff with her and Mr. White is revealed. Due to the character's very nature, we only get a small... We, we, we get a more of a glimpse into her, but, I mean, you know, like, it's always been a very, like, we get a piece of the puzzle that is her at a time. 
it's you know it's part of the like she's a spy she only reveals her cards one at a time as she needs to but she's also a character that has been around for several books and might have new life breathed into her due to her coming out of the darkness to stand in the light with the other inner circle of the NIA. Do you think that there is room in the future to talk more about her story in much the way that happened with Natasha Romanoff in the MCU? I think there's room, potentially. These questions are always a little bit difficult for me to answer because <laughs> I, <laughs> I know some of the paths ahead at least mm -hmm. a little and mm -hmm. um <laughs> i think there's there is like i said the the way alex works there is always potential for mm -hmm. characters who appear on the surface to be quite minor to expand and come into their own i think that's that's one of the ways that he creates such a living breathing world mm -hmm. because everybody in it it almost seems like you could pause the tape turn around and look at that character who just said one line and see their backstory open up behind them so uh, i yeah <laughs> is, is, we yes, never... is the answer to that question <laughs> we were so sorry we never want to put any of you on the spot and try to sort of like sneak in some sneak peek of the future no, no, with no, no. and for some uh, breaking of non-disclosure agreements, official or otherwise. But on the no, other no, hand, no, we kind of do. <laughs> but you see, that's yeah. the other thing. The, the other side of it is I don't want to say, well, there's nothing on the cards because then that, <laughs> that kind of closes things down. But but yeah, you, the way that Alex devises characters, everybody has the potential to open up into their own story. And that's that's one of the things that I love about the way he writes. Mm. It's, it's, oh, it's fine. We're not recording any of this anyway. <laughs> It's one of the things that I intend to bring up when we uh, bring Maya back to the table in that when she took over the role of voicing Catherine Holloway, she's essentially become the the Nick Fury of the new century in terms of she's always playing a prominent role and always working behind the scenes, but she never really gets to be that much of a main character. That doesn't mean that she's not important. She's just sort of always there. But in the case of Catherine, we already kind of know her story. That was revealed specifically as a part of the very first book. Agent Lee is still very much of a closed book. And I don't know, given that we get to see more of her vulnerability in Stone Spring Maidens, I'm just hoping that eventually we we get to do more with that which is why i, I brought mm. the question up to begin with i'm so sorry that we the interview ended up uh waiting this middle part so much towards uh sharon but uh it's been honestly like i this is the problem when we have multiple people at once it's just every single one of you i'm just so happy to have you here and it's just I could talk for hours with any <laughs> single one of you. And, mm -hmm. and we, we have. have. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, let, let's bring it back to one of, one of our, the rest of our panel of guests here. Loretta, way back when we had our first interview with you, 84 years ago. Uh, <laughs> we four talked... score and seven years, get it right. 
<laughs> we talked a lot about the differences between Harry and Annie, as you were alluding to as a part of the voice acting process that you unfortunately lapsed into Annie when you were trying to portray Harry. In our initial review on the written novel, I remember pondering aloud what it would be like to try and voice Harry coming into her own and therefore being less like she was and more confident like Annie carried herself. And so you like you talked about, oh, no, that's Annie. I have to do it the way Harry would do it. How did you end up finding the right internal place to show that Harry had changed while keeping her recognizably Harry? Oh, God. Um... <laughs> know with harry it was just more like finding a balance like it was like fortunately it was step by step and line by line and alex would would coach me along the way whenever he could and that conversation that i that i had with theo earlier where he had us in there together definitely helped it's along the lines of she's more accepted here even in in uh, uh our arlington and steamheart harry would have her moments where she's like quick 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 you know she's like She's like Milo Thatch explaining the the boiler, or um, what I like to think of is like one of those like uh, almost like Speedy Gonzales just popping in here and there, and like a um, a, a meerkat or something just popping out. Like, yeah, so here's this, and here's that, and that. So I kind of use that voice a little mm-hmm. bit more, and I would slow it down and add a bit, a bit more of a drawl to it to let you know, hey, this is still Harriet. Still got my issues, but now it's I'm accepted more. I don't have people here just waiting for me to screw up because I think Harry kind of always knew there was like her parents, you know, gotta love her parents and her sister. Like they sheltered her, but there was still kind of like that undertone of like, she kind of knows people are looking down on her, especially with Edison right there. And that's fucking awesome. <laughs> and anyway, I love you, Matt. I love you. I just hate Edison. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, but she always kind of knew there were people waiting for her to screw up, people like kind of watching her slip and kind of judging her for it. And it became easier to go back into that quicker mindset, that quicker, more cheerful aspect because she did feel accepted. The Elaine made her feel accepted, especially Penny. And the fact that truth kind of like pushed her a little bit more too, it, it helped. And so I was kind of trying to come back into my own as well because I just moved in with my sister. And um, I'm having to go from being like, look, I'm only responsible for myself and my cats and I can do whatever I have to. I've got my own office. I've got my own space to. Okay. Thank you so much. Global situation. There's nothing for rent here. And my sister is having to let me rent a room from her so that I don't end up having to move back into my parents or having to like deal with another unhealthy situation. Not unhealthy, but I mean, like, um, uh, apartments down in Dallas, the ones I used to live in were, were really bad. Not bad, bad, but, like, didn't entirely feel safe, you know? I carried around a pepper spray and the occasional taser with me. I'm only 5'2", so I'm what you call an easy target. Or at least I look like one. <laughs> <laughs> they do and, not know uh, the whole of you. Oh, no. Yes. no, no, you don't get it. It's like, you give me an excuse to taser you, I will fully take advantage of it. And remember, I like to watch him twitch. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, and of course, the officer's going to believe me because, like, 
hey, I'm cute and tiny and we're designer clothes. And, and, and that guy's like big, burly, smelly, and mean looking. And, and he could easily hoist me over his shoulder and, 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 and hurt me. And so, so I just had to defend myself wherever I could. And, 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 and he, he made me want to cry. And yeah, but, um, <laughs> I, I've got an angle to play and I will take full advantage. You are um, Dot Warner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> But like Harry, you like electricity, so you get to use it. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was like, I'm having to do sort of a contrast because as I'm becoming, I don't want to say less independent, but as I'm becoming more dependent on my situation because of, because of global situation, I'm basically having to contrast what I'm going through with what I'm doing vocally. And that was fun. And my sister's like, what, what are you doing in there? Why are you screaming? What's wrong? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't have to warn her to my bottom. But, um, so this is what's happening. And I got to record Tuesday night. Are you guys going to be home? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, there was one time where I scared the daylights out of my, my four-year-old nephew. God love him. He's my little Padawan. He's my nugget. And he'll, um, he heard me doing a scene where I'm having, as Carrie, where I'm trying to cry, you know? And he, mm. like, immediately comes in and is like, Daisy, are you okay? Just like this, this little blonde four-year-old kid uh, just like comes running in and gives me a hug. And it's like, Daisy, are you okay? You know, oh, I'm fine. I'm like, you were crying. Are you Are you sure? Here, I'll give you my candy. Where did you oh, get that? God. Oh, uh, uh, your kitchen? Okay. That's fine. <laughs> you, you, you stole my, my, my lollipops, but that's fine. Well, you offered to give them are back you okay? to you. <laughs> exactly. Are, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. Can I play Lady Star Wars? <laughs> Connor, give, give me give me ten minutes, okay? Just I'll be done in ten minutes. Are you sure? That's really long. Yes, I'll be fine. Just, <laughs> go downstairs, hang out for a bit. We'll we'll, we'll play in ten minutes. Okay, Tizzy, I love you. Gives you a big kiss, and and goes running out the door. And that's why you're in the, the car. So Georgie goes exactly. <laughs> so Georgie goes running out after him, and I'm like, oh shit! And I gotta like hunt down my cat. So it's another. <laughs> <laughs> literal herding cats pretty much yeah chloe chloe doesn't mess with it she just kind of stays in the room she knows where she's safe but um it's it's fun because i mean i, I also get to um i kind of had to mature a little bit too because i was living in a house with a four-year-old and, and almost a two-year-old now kobe is is growing before my very eyes and way smarter than, than mm. he should be that kid I swear to God, it'll find the most dangerous thing in the room. It doesn't matter how, because I can put stuff, like, way out of his reach, or, like, I don't even know it's there anymore. And it's, it's like, okay, let me put you down for a second and fix my hair or something, and we'll go downstairs, right? I turn around, he's got a switchblade. <laughs> I don't know the switchblade. Oh. I don't know where the fuck he got it from. <laughs> there it is, right? And he's just, like, holding it and, like, laughing at me, like, ah! <laughs> That's... That's a literal recreation of just, what do you have there? A knife! No! No! No, like we were emptying the dishwasher the other day. And hand to God, my sister and I are like trying to trying to get everything organized because she had a party last night. He gets the pizza cutter out. And it's not just a pizza cutter. There's a knife stuck to the side of the pizza cutter. <laughs> trying to help and he just, he grabs it, holds it at arm's length, waddles towards me and hands it to me. And I'm like, and my sister's like, what are you doing holding that? And I'm like, 
he just gave it she's like what and i'm like i'm like he just gave it to me she's like oh my god (laughs) and we both really hope this doesn't end up being a pattern in the future where he just like he develops a taste for things that are just really bad for him but god god love the both of them they they both they both uh can read my moods and just come to me and are like are like oh we love you oh we're gonna be a pain in the ass but we love you you are on it's your hours now forever and ever and ever and i'm like yeah, this is my life now. God, all of a sudden, I'm getting this picture of him growing up like Jason Momoa's character from Stargate Atlantis. Be like, how do you have all these knives on your person? And they're like, it's a thing. I collect <laughs> knives. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I love them both. It's just like they were what also helped me like bring that dynamic uh, emotion out and also bring out a little bit more of that maturity because... These two are children, mm. and now I have to be the, the adult in the room. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. But I have to be the adult in the room. Mm. <laughs> I hope all of that was clear enough for people to appreciate. In case it isn't obvious, the fact that the audio is poor is because Loretta was worried about constant interruptions from children and cats. But to be honest, even though a good portion of what you just heard was not about New Century, I could potentially listen to Loretta talk about the trials and tribulations of living with her sister for hours. And I wish all of you could hear this conversation with the proper clarity and best possible voices that Loretta can manage. That said, let's get back to the conversation you are here for. I mean, you were mentioning earlier about how there was one moment where you were crying as Harry, and that's the impetus for your nephew coming in. But that takes me to my next question, which is that the first act of Stone Spring Maiden sees Harry in one of the hardest headspaces you could possibly be in. And you communicated the pain of that Harry was going through with such intensity. And I, it's a sort of hard question to ask. What was the process like when performing those early scenes with Harry? You know, when you weren't uh, being checked up on. <laughs> this is this is something I've repeated before and something I've used before. I went back into my cancer days. Mm. Um, I went back to that six-year-old version of me who was terrified and just basically trying to hide it and also kind of done with this shit, like, like, yeah, we're going to give you a tranquilizer. I'm like, tranquilizer? I'm six, and my mom wants me to use good language. But I was literally like, tranquilizer? Fuck you, I'm tired already. You've had me up since 5 a.m. And, um, like, just, I'm going to go to sleep right now. Screw you. <laughs> he just passed right out. Mm. And my grandma was always, always very impressed by that, that she didn't tell my mom that I swore at the doctor. Um, <laughs> but it was just kind of like this mixture of, oh, God, here's this, this, this thing that I'm gonna, it's, I'm gonna have to deal with. That's permanent. That's, it's just, it's an odd headspace to go into. And if you haven't been there, it's all the more difficult to explain. It's, it's like with the jackets metaphor. Unfortunately, that's one I can't, you know, set fire to. But at the like, you know, I have to keep it at the back of my closet because it also gives me perspective. But mm. it's also, how do I put this? It's also, it's not a very comfortable coat to wear. Mm. But it's something that I can draw on, and it's something that, at the very least, it's not just pain, it's strength. 
and mm-hmm. it helps that I can tell myself, look, I'm never going to be there again. I'm never going to allow myself to be there again. But, you know, I have to strap on my big girl boots and, and do this. It also helped knowing that I'm not the only person who's been in this kind of situation where, like, your whole life gets changed up and you're having to deal with being immobile, being almost like a baby again. I don't know how it is in in typical American families. I mean, you only know what you grew up with. But when I was little, we shared a bedroom and we shared a bed. Like, it was, we, were, we were little kids. My parents had their own room. We had our own room. And they didn't, you know, they didn't have separate beds for us. It was... It was me and my sister in the same full-size bed. And for a while, falling asleep together kind of became a comfort thing. And my sister would come into my room, like, in the middle of the night. At a, I had one of those little TVs with a VHS in it. And she would, Mommy, can I sleep with you? Yeah, whatever. And I'd turn over. And she'd put on Forrest Gump. And I'd always wake up to the parts with Lieutenant Dan. Mm. I kind of like drew from him as well. Like first he goes from like kind of being owning it, but kind of being desolate about it. And then he goes into like first it's like kind of, it's a semi depression, but like an angry depression. And then it's more like anger, but determination. And then finally he's at peace with it. And that's when he's able to fully heal. Like I, I remember exactly when I'd be fully awake watching that. And it would be Lieutenant Dan, you've got new legs. My sister would be passed out next to me. And I'd just go turn it off. And she's like, what are you doing? We gotta finish the movie. Damn it, Bono. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we would, we would fall asleep to that. And I, I drew from that. That also helped because, again, my situation was, fortunately, a little cancer baby. Uh, well, not baby, but little cancer girl. And, um, and you know, I, I, I never lost a limb and hopefully you know, don't intend to. Unless I have to sell a kidney. But, you know, that's that's hush hush. Most likely it won't be mine. But, um, <laughs> um, it was like, okay, this is this is what this person who's like lost a big part of themselves or what they feel like is a part of themselves mm-hmm. is going through. And I'm going to draw from that as well. Also, I always felt like this little sense of loss with not being able to do Annie anymore. Mm-hmm. So some of the pain from, like, Alex, you had to kill, like, my favorite, like, you know. <laughs> You're to kill one of my favorite characters, you asshole. But no, not really. At least I love you. We we all think it. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I've said that multiple times awesome. in the course of this podcast. It's just, yeah. God damn it, sure. I miss Annie. I miss being able to do this thing that I used to do really well, that I used to love doing. Mm. So I'm going to draw from, from that, too. So it's it was a lot of different sources. And then there was even, like, with that anger at truth, because... I remember being little and kind of being jealous of my sister because she could, she could go out and do whatever she wanted. You know, I mean, she was two years younger than me, and mm. you know, she was she was not afraid of anything. She was my bone marrow donor. She's she's the one of the reasons I'm still alive. And I was terrified of needles because I don't like the idea of something foreign going under my skin and touching me. And I don't like wearing things. I don't like having anything on my. Well, I, I like wearing clothes, but I don't like having anything attached to them, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that kind of emotion there. Um, it wasn't even fear of pain. It was, what are you doing to me? And meanwhile, my little sister, who was four years old, had just been taught how to flip people off. The doctor goes up to her and... By who, Loretta? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. 
just taught him how to say dickhead, okay? <laughs> so it's the shaggy defense, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. But no, she's four years old, and she can, like, you know, the doctor's like, okay, well, Bob, uh, we, we need a blood sample. And she just, like, middle fingers out, like, each one on each arm and goes, you want this one or this one? <laughs> My mom is completely red. <laughs> And the nurse behind her is just like dying, and I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> like I'm incredulous because it's like here's my sister's bravest shit dealing with whatever, and I'm you know doing something that I'm terrified of, you know. And uh, again, like when you're going through all that, you're you're immobile and all that, and so it was um there was some negativity there between me and Bonna for a while because I didn't understand my own emotions, I didn't understand like. Why am I so angry? You know, you only have like a five, six year old's understanding of things, and that's a very limited sphere of emotion. It's mm-hmm. kind of like with my my four year old nephew. He goes, he comes in, he's like, "Oh my god, where are you crying?" So he understands crying, but then he doesn't understand. I need to keep crying. You gotta get out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've yeah. answered it. Yeah, yeah, at this point, I think you have exactly. Yeah, where we're coming to the end of our list here, um, and that we're going to make room for everybody to be able to respond to these things as needed. But it's going to be a little bit more rapid fire because I don't want this to go on too much longer. I do have other things to take care of. So I remember at some point someone was mentioning that they were drawing on a very specific character from another piece of media. You've all talked a lot about what you personally brought to the characters of this story, but I'm curious if, when it came time to voice act the characters, uh, what media influences did you pull on for Stone Spring Maiden specifically? Um, Rugrats. <laughs> Seriously, um, Harry makes me think of both Chucky and Susie at the same time. It very sounded like those were just like, like Charles. I don't think that's such a good idea. <laughs> but with my shorts off, I could go potty right away if I need to. <laughs> um, oh, but then there's Susie, who's very smart, very uh, stable, more grown-up character of the of the babies. And now that I look at it now, I, I kind of see see Susie as kind of like somewhere between. I, I see Truth as somewhere between Susie and Angelica. Like, like no, I got shit to do. <laughs> at the same time, like I care about you, so you don't listen to me. So that that was actually one of them. Mm. And um, I don't I don't remember what the show was, but there used to be. It was like an anime, and there was a character who was known for being quiet, not quite an Uncle Iroh character. But more like quiet genius. I mean, there's there's Milo Thatch in there, of course. I don't remember who it was. It was um, that you could tell they were neurotypical, and they were they were very very quiet, very reserved. If someone remembers what I'm talking about, there were space battles in it. Oh, that narrows mm. it down. Yeah. <laughs> anime was space battles. See, my brain's <laughs> running through animations, and then I'm like, no, Loretta's not old enough to remember that one, and can't be that one. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Theo, uh, what was? Um, what were there any particular sources of inspiration, of other performances and media for Penny? Nobody really specific, but there are a lot of like, like of the archetype of a, a quiet 
not quite shy, but withdrawn person who mm-hmm. has to come out of their shell and confront uh, difficult situations and difficult people and how they grow through those experiences. I just, I just like that archetype a lot. Mm. Like it's this familiar state of being that you just feel like, Oh yeah, no, this is something that I've felt before, whether it's through personal experience or through stories that I've resonated with. Yeah, it's a little bit of column A, column B kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> so I, I can't really point to one specific person or character. Mm-hmm. But, but the feelings there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sharon. Oh, oh, I just remembered one. I'm sorry. Oh, no, um, that's okay. My Little Pony. Of course. <laughs> not, not I, even, no, not even Pinkie Pie. A little Pinkie Pie's there. Pinkie Pie's always there. Pinkie Pie's everywhere. <laughs> um, I believe oh, it. Gee, Pinkie, I don't know. It doesn't sound safe. <laughs> it's okay, Fluttershy. I got this. And Deadpool's like right there. He's got his covered. We're gonna find Rainbow Dash. We're gonna get her home. Um, Amazing. But no, it's actually Applejack. It's Applejack before she was Applejack. Like Applejack mixed with Big Mac, because Mac Big Macintosh doesn't talk very much. When he does talk, it's poignant. Like he's saying what he means. And so there's like, I, I get a lot of Harriet from Applejack because Applejack is like just like. Applejack's very no-nonsense and just like, I ain't got time for your shit. I got fields to, you know, plow and, and apples to harvest. <laughs> I must have missed these episodes with, like, foul-mouthed Applejack. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's in there. Don't worry about it, Sugar Cube. Yeah, it's it's very much, um, uh, ap- there's there's a lot of Applejack in, in Harriet. It's really seen her voice. Um, and hopefully, when bec- she, she goes up and becomes more or grows up uh, and becomes more reliable and more more reliant on herself. Um, so so there you go. I've got I've got a couple of apples in there. Sharon, I know that you and Alex have watched a whole bunch of Arrested Development. Any Lucille Bluth involved in uh, Calendula? Ah, interesting observation. There isn't, <laughs> at least not intentionally. But it's mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that a little bit crept in there without my conscious knowledge. Mm. Um, Cal is based on a specific performance, actually, which is Kate Blanchett as Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator. So uh, if you've seen it, uh, there are two scenes that Alex had me go back to repeatedly as as sort of a touchstone for the accent. And remember what I said about the way she stands and the way she holds her chin up? That was was very much from there. And there's a there's a scene where she and Leonardo DiCaprio are playing golf and she's talking to him about all sorts of things that he's not in the least bit interested in. And that dynamic was something that I tried to bring to her very breezy, assuming she's the most interesting person in any room that she's in kind of Mm. tone and then there's another one where she has to answer the phone in the middle of an argument and she has to switch between fighting and being very proper on the telephone and uh, that was another one that I went back to to kind of get that vibe of of the the way she projects herself being a projection being a, a kind of a mask that she mm. keeps with her. And there was also an interview with Catherine Hepburn herself, 
which I used as a thing to go back to 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 kind of get the the ear on the accent right. Recentering process. Absolutely, and I I do that with a lot of the characters that I've played. Actually, the because so many of them have American accents. One of the things that I sometimes find a little bit tricky is picking up the right American accent again. <laughs> so it was it was quite a frequent director's note, shall we say, with Cal that I would start recording a piece and he'd go, "No, that's Abigail," and then I'd start again and he'd go, "No, that's Catherine." And then <laughs> so having these little videos to be able to go back to, and I would I would kind of pick a phrase or a just a, a word or two and a pose and this is where the hand acting comes in that I could just kind of say in my head and possibly like mouth the words so that I could get the shape of them right and then once I've got the shape of that phrase the rest of it flows mm. the very next question was literally supposed to be in terms of breaking new grounds for characterization what parts of it came easy and what parts of it came hard I feel like along the process of our interview so far, you've already kind of pointed out a whole bunch of them just in terms mm. of seriously identifying with one character or in this particular case where Loretta is trying to make the voice acting distinctly Harry and not Annie or what Sharon was just talking about a moment ago was like, no, 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 that, that, that way of speaking is a little bit too much of one of your other myriad characters that you've acted over the years. But <laughs> is there is there anything else that stands yeah. out for you what, in terms of that? We're essentially asking, what haven't we covered? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, personally, I think Calendula reminds me of Mallory Archer, but that's just me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're absolutely right. I can just hear her going, just like, oh, at this point, I'll be reduced to wearing Nutria. <laughs> Do you want ants? That's how you get ants. <laughs> See, that, I think, there's a little of that in Lamia. Mm. And Lamia is who Cal takes a lot of her cues from as to how she behaves. Yeah, you yeah. Like, in that scene, which was in the way the story was originally set up, that was Lamia's introduction. Mm. It feels as if Cal is essentially the mini me of Lamia, and mm. like I, I think that uh, I remember Alex sort of talking about this uh, character because of when they were released earlier this year, the Lady Dimitrescu in the latest Resident Evil is very much like how I sort of envision Lamia. And I'm just sort of viewing Cal as like just essentially one of the daughters, just someone who takes a lot of the cues and carries on their work. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's the hat. It's difficult mm. to visualise her without this incredibly large hat that says, don't you dare come any closer to me than the brim of this hat. Mm. <laughs> God must have a huge fucking sombrero up there in heaven, huh? Look at me, I'm God! You're the size of my hat, who else would I be? I don't know, lead singer of Los Lobos? I don't know! You tell me! <laughs> There's this lady on TikTok who does recipes, but she does it in this character of this really high-strung, high-class Spanish lady. And she has a hat with a rim that is the circumference of the rings of Saturn. 
and she's constantly bumping into the door of the fridge. She doesn't take the hat off. She's bumping <laughs> into the door of the, f- the fridge and, and drawers and, and just messing it up. And every time the hat gets dislodged, she goes, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I need links immediately. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it because I, I only ever come across it randomly because I'm not actually on TikTok. <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, lady, you're wearing the hat. You can choose to take it off. But no, you're going to scold the hat instead. <laughs> How dare it. <laughs> uh, well, of course I... she's wearing it. You damn well better behave. No. <laughs> yes. I'm now picturing that like each time you cut to a new shot, the hat just increases in size. <laughs> <laughs> just silently bratty. We're like, oh, okay, yes. I'm going to be even bigger now. <laughs> what are each of you most proud of with your work on Stone Spring Maidens? Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> we may have already that. covered it. I, yeah. I, think, I think all of it. Uh... Yeah. That is a valid answer. I, I think you're it's, absolutely it's, correct. It's valid, but it's cheap. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can zhuzh it up. Um, I enjoyed making Penny distinct from mm. the other, just from a, a strictly technical voice acting point of view. Mm. It's the same accent as Gwen, but more relaxed and deeper and breathier. Where where Gwen is is very very up and boisterous and 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 mm. big and, and and Penny is very much much closer and lower and she's much more even because she doesn't want to accidentally uh, trigger the sound activated alarm that is Calendula. she she has to make herself small because that's the only way Cal can fit in the room. <laughs> Cal and her ego, you know. Oh boy, that's a metaphor right there that I can just be yeah. like, as a, as a person that is large, I am as a person that is large and has I, my. Yeah, I did not mean it that way. <laughs> no, no, I no, I understand that, but just the metaphor of taking up space, whether it's metaphorically or physically, the fact that I am big, but also the fact that I'm like trying not to get in anybody's way, always has me in this mindset particularly if i'm like in an elevator or something it just be like okay i gotta try and get into the corner so i'm taking up as little space as possible i don't want to get in the way of everybody else that's Mm. like the physical representation of what it's like to be around someone with a huge personality so Mm. I, I just, I think that what is so commendable and touching on what you were saying just now, Theo, is that I think it's so impressive that even after all of you guys have done such a range of performances over the many books and audio dramas that have come out, that there are still new voices and that even characters that you have played before are going to new places and your voices are taking them to those new places. That is impressive as all hell to me. And like, I've done very small cameos twice now. And it's like, I, it has been very hard to just sort of do individual words and just get myself into the right register for it. So it impresses the hell out of me that you guys are still knocking it out of the park like this 
Yeah, I have a lot of fun just sort of experimenting with stuff, figuring out mm -hmm. my my range to see if I can do something, you know, more comedic and cartoony or something mm -hmm. even more sinister or, you know, or, or high pitched. Like there's there's one voice that I call. I can't believe it's not Fluttershy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I auditioned for for something like a like a minor video game role with it. And I don't think I'm going to get it because it didn't quite fit. But I tried it and. We'll see if I can refine it. So, don't know. I think, yeah, for me, the I, I can't claim much of the credit for this one because my contribution to it, I think, is is relatively minor. But the, the fact that this was the creation of a whole new world, mm. which we haven't really done since The Princess Thieves? No, mm. Tiger's Eye. Which one came yeah. first? Was it Princess Thieves or Tiger's Eye? Tiger's Eye was first. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm. so then it was Princess Thieves. Yeah, Princess Thieves technically takes place in the same world as Century, though. Mm. Yeah, true. How do you true. define what? Actually, yeah. Yes, but, it, it is. It is a completely different geological location mm. and culture. So I guess you could yeah. qualify it as a different world, quote unquote. Mm. Well, but I, I always. Sorry, go on, Greg. Oh no, no, I was going to say that I I would agree with Sharon's assertion there primarily because. There may be some recognizable aspects of British culture still there, but it's got Dwart culture superimposed on top of it as well, mm. and as well as the contributions mm. of the Aka to the social order of things. So there is definitely a significant enough change that it has ways about it that feel mm. like a new world, mm. even if there's something familiar to it. It's the, mm. it's the urban fantasy element of it. I guess. Yeah, yeah um, the, that that fantasy kind of genre. Uh, yeah. <laughs> genre is really quite the right the right word for Alex's mm -hmm. books, but that that sense of it being very definitely a fantasy story, it kind of made it feel like a, a brand new environment. And autumn being techno fantasy has that there too. The, that crystal punk vibe that hadn't existed in any previous stories and obviously that is Alex the writing and the the evoking of the space and the way the descriptions create these very visual worlds that I, I don't know about anybody else but I find very easy to recreate them in my head because mm -hmm. of how he writes them and bringing the people to life within that because the setting ultimately is the is the place but the people are what breathe life into it and being mm. able to contribute to that is definitely a very satisfying kind of I'm I'm very proud that I did that thing that mm. I I put however small an element but made mm. that world breathe that's yeah. something that uh, that feels you really populate good. it yeah yeah, and I think for because for me when I act, drama and performance is something that I have been kind of into for a long, long time. But my way of acting has always been to kind of try and get into the headspace of who is saying the words. So voice acting, where the sound of it is actually really quite important and adjusting that from the outside is 
quite key because I can have the headspace right for six different characters, but the voices all come out sounding the same because it's still me. So learning over the the sort of various characters that I've played, how to do that effectively has been kind of a new skill for me. And I, I think I'm getting quite good at it. Yeah, so I'm quite proud of that too. <laughs> Loretta, I just want to check because we haven't heard what you're pr- most proud of. I guess being able to help my character grow and just being part of this whole thing, like Sharon was saying, I mean, we, we've all kind of, we've all been here for a long time and it's, it's really great to see like how our characters evolve, how they come into their own and just being able to do new things with them. And so I'm really proud that I was able to, you know, take a character who was written to be very shy, very within herself and, and help her help her out of her shell, or at the very least voice her out of her shell. I feel like you probably have a very strong, like in addition to all the stuff that you've already talked about, Harry being a facet of you, it's kind of important to you, I expect, at this point, to get Harry right and to do the best you can with her after losing Annie as a voice to proceed into the future with. Everything now rests, well, not everything, because there will always be, as Toby said earlier, new voices and everything like that. But just that she is the continuation of the work that originally began with Annie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I take great pride in that. I mean, it's also very humbling because it's like, I never thought I'd be part, part of a project like this. I never thought I would actually get this far. I mean, it's a great story. It's a great universe, but it's like, oh my God, here we are in the, what, what is this, like, book 10? It was here that I considered whether or not to cut out this next section, because we don't exactly cover ourselves with glory here, forgetting how many books there have been. But since everyone got confused as to which book Stone Spring Maidens was, made only more confusing by the fact that the book we were discussing was only the most recent audio drama, not the most recent novel, I decided to include it in its entirety for comedic purposes. This is book... Eleven? Eleven now, yes. Yeah, and I'm like, oh my god. No. I I was going to say thirteen, but no. I don't think we are that far ahead with this yet. No, no, no. So, okay, hold on a second. Steamhearts. Get the graph out. She turns to the bookshelf and starts frantically. It's a part The Secret Rooms. Let them go. I'm I'm doing this out of order, but like how I remember them. Let them go. Tiger's Eye. Princess Arlington. Five. Steamheart. Six. Uh, 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 Uncivil Outlaw. Seven. But don't 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 forget Christmas Thieves, which is eight. Christmas Thieves, yeah. And then um. Did we get Cartographer's Handbook in there? Oh God, not yes. (laughs) Fifteen. Now that I think about it. It's a whole lot of books. It's a- <laughs> yeah. Goodness, for, for God's sake, we've been doing this for almost two years. We should get the numbering correctly. <laughs> a, a quantity known down here in the South as a mess. It's <laughs> <laughs> is, is a, a whole mess of books. Or, you know, if, if, you're in, if you're in specific parts of Texas, a fuck ton. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
Now, we, we, we don't use that kind of language around here, says the ghost of my grandmother. At least, <laughs> at least oh, bless your heart, at least not, you know, in, in, in good company. All right, let's uh, <laughs> get a little bit punchy here as we as we uh, head towards the, the end. end. Yeah, exactly. The future of New Century is going to involve a bunch of new characters, thinking specifically of Panthersol, but also the ongoing return of the old ones, some of which were in this very book itself. After the return experience of coming back to doing a whole mess of voice acting with these characters again is there anything this recent experience taught you that you're going to take forward into new stories i think learning to trust myself to to stretch what i'm capable of uh because i did something that was similar but different enough improving myself that i have that kind of range and just figure out you know who else is is in here that i can just let out mm. Mm. Learning to take characters and actually bring them to a new place or bring them to a different emotional state. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can do Pinkie Pie, but it's not just doing Pinkie Pie. It's doing Pinkie Pie angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, picking, I'm picturing those like Kirby cover arts where they just do the American release where they just draw angry eyes over <laughs> <laughs> Gotta put on my angry eyes. Or well, no, was that? that was from Toy Story. Mr. Angry Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I would know I've seen that movie like 30 times in a day. <laughs> Today, in fact. <laughs> yes. Again, I love my nephews. They're like my favorite people in the whole world. But yeah, it's 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 being able to take those those characters and bring them to new places. I mean, it's like you said, it's not just like you don't just like learn who else is in there. Like, it's my own little head headspace. We'll find different things. But it's also, you're not just doing the impression. You're, you're, you're giving them emotion. You're giving them life. And you're giving them new personalities, new depths of their personality. Mm. So I liked, I liked exploring those depths. And this time, I didn't have to use a life jacket. <laughs> I never get tired of that. I never get. I, I feel like I need to watch Friendship is Magic now because I, I mean, I don't need to get the references. That's this I is mean, This is the experience is. right here, Greg. Well, it's like like... I'm not giving them cake. I'm assaulting him with cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's good cake you're wasting, Pinky. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I'm going crazy and I love it. <laughs> Short trip. Um <laughs> Sharon, anything from your perspective? Uh in particular I'm trying not to spoil, but I'm thinking mm -hmm. about um, stuff that you might be bringing from your experience voicing Calendula into the next major character you're going to be tackling? Mm. I think the, in light of the moving into more antagonists type characters, there was definitely an element of being okay to let myself into the headspace of certain characteristics. Mm. In the sense of it is just a performance, and yes, I can turn it off at the end. <laughs> mm. 
mm, which like is the... which is something that I I was possibly subconsciously a little bit with an antagonist sometimes leaning into the going over the top requires you to unhook from the sides a bit and mm. I'm that that tends to be something that I'm a little bit reluctant to do mm. and I think I definitely was able to get that a bit more with Calendula mm. and that's fascinating because it almost sounds like the experience of going into very affecting horror something where it can take you to some frightening mm. places but you get to sort of disengage at the end of it mm. which is often where that therapeutic element of it comes from mm. Mm. i need to try more from a, a horror perspective because it's that's definitely a blind spot for me but it feels like they're based on the way everybody else talks about it that there is more value to be mined out there if i just let myself be open to it well like all therapy greg like if we're to continue this metaphor like it there's never a right amount of therapy for like, or a universal amount of therapy. It's about like just exploring the options that are out there and seeing what's right for you. So mm. like, I was going to say, or a, a right kind of therapy mm. or indeed a right kind of horror, the wrong kind of horror, horror if it's not the right one for you mm. is, is not necessarily going to mm. be dangerous. Mm. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. On that uh, note, is anyone else pissed off that they're making another Scream movie? It's so I, dumb. It it's makes me so want dumb. to... I, I'm trying to think of the word. Scream? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see where you go with this story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have the same love of Scream as other people did, primarily because, obviously, it's much like... What was it? The um, Cabin in the Woods... It's making a commentary on the tropes and the meta of horror movies. I think I liked the first one for what it was. I I did, in fact, watch two and three now that I, I think about it. I feel like maybe I would be more interested in the new Scream if it was just this one and the original Scream. Sort of a little bit the same as Halloween is like, mm. okay, so we have the original. Now we're making this new Halloween based on ignoring all the rest of it and just having this be the next thing. But I suspect it's actually going to make a reference to the the continuity of the lesser movies and everything like that. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm mm. going to see it. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. The problem uh, is the more details you add to a horror story, the less scary it becomes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's like the the the, the way I, I get around being scared of horror is I explore it and I figure out all the details. I figure out what's going on and it doesn't quite scare me anymore. Mm. And mm. horror doesn't work if you know what it is. Mm. Because it's easy to slay the monster once you know its name. Yeah, I mean, that is part of the reason why Let Them Go is the way it is. It's at a it's at a point before anyone knows anything about the Wendigo. You're absolutely right. That story works best in the vacuum before Cartographer's Handbook was a thing, which is very literally 10 years after the the outbreak, so to speak. So, yeah, good good points there. All right, the final two, and mm. get to have a little bit of fun with these questions here. 
Uh, we've 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 taken care of all all of the serious stuff at this point. Autumn is a world where the social order is flip flopped. For each of you, what do you feel like the personal benefits and challenges would be if you yourself were living in that world? Oh God, I don't want to share a man with another woman. <laughs> I I think I would have come to terms with my own sexuality uh, a lot quicker and easier. I would have been able to explore romantic relationships with women easier. I would have realized that was a thing earlier. Mm-hmm. Grew up in the Deep South, and with all that entails, uh, there, there was a template that I was expected to follow. Mm-hmm. And I think without that template, I probably would have come into myself a lot earlier and sooner and better. Relationship with my my male family members probably would have been better too. There would have been the undercurrent of respect from the get-go. It also feels like there's a template that exists in Autumn as well. Yeah, right? yeah. There's, not to say that everything would be better and, 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 you know, perfect, but I think I fit into that order uh, as it's presented a little mm. better, a little easier than I do mm. here. Yeah. And some things would come easier mm-hmm. than they have here, yeah. I agree with Theo completely on the the coming into my real self a little sooner. I grew up in an environment where I was very lucky to not have a here's the template because you're a girl. I grew up in a family where you're gender dictated very little Hmm. and there was much less resistance I think to well I want to do xyz but you can't because you're a girl I, I think I know a lot of people who grew up with much much more of that than I did so I think I had more freedom to express myself in that sense growing up in autumn probably wouldn't have made a a massive amount of difference there i i do think the class structure would be the thing that i would struggle with Mm. as you do here as Um, i do here (laughs) Mm. well structure Um, not a great idea yeah and i think the Mm. yeah (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm being very vague on this, but I'm I'm trying to crystallise what I want to say, and it's it's a little difficult. It's a getting late, that's, and I'm tired. That's quite all right, um, though. Crystallise yeah, so the, much. Uh... <laughs> the structure of how the wealth is distributed and how that means some people have to struggle, and the the structures of it being difficult for the the fact that it's harder for men in autumn to get the higher paying salaries, which means that a a family setup that consists of a man and a woman is nine times out of 10 going to be less well off than Mm. a family that has two women or, or two women and a man or, you know, basically the more female salaries they can bring into the family the more successful and wealthy they're going to be I think I would whatever my own personal situation I think I would probably 
chafe somewhat at the unfairness of that. Mm -hmm. That the relationship households are sort of more like a maths game of how to like create the best sort of team setup rather than mm -hmm. this is the emotional thing that makes the most sense for us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Loretta, I feel like I kind of stepped on you a moment ago. Did you have something else you wanted to contribute? I do like that they're more open about their their how they express themselves, especially with the use of color. <laughs> I feel like being able to express yourself more colorfully, having those kind of relationships be, I guess the fact that people can be more open about their relationships with each other is definitely something I admire about Autumn. Like not everyone, of course, but they're they're more accepting of like, hey, this is where we are right now, you know, in our time, in our history, and we need mm -hmm. to be prepared for what's coming. I think that makes it a lot easier. I also like the fact that, how do I put this? They make like healthcare a priority. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That was a very dark <laughs> laugh, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas dark laughs make up 50%. But no, that they, they make healthcare a priority and that even though, yeah, there are these limitations on people and that, yes, there's still a sense of somebody being oppressed, they are caring for their people, mm -hmm. you know, more than more than we see right now. So that is something I admire about Autumn. Also, I would love to be able to wear, like, those really nice, like, monochromatic suits with, like, loud jewelry and just be like, hi! <laughs> um, <laughs> although I'm less like Calendula and more like, like, oh no, Ganny, here, have some cake, we'll talk. Less like, I want to frock your brains out, more like, more like, oh, okay, you're not comfortable with that, let's go on to the next thing. Um, so, can you help me build X, Y, and Z, kind of? Mm. <laughs> the fashion of Calendula with the actual, like, willingness and, uh, like, to engage in conversation. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't mind being the loudest bird in the room. I just want to talk to people. <laughs> I can improve um, that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think the the aesthetics of autumn are definitely one of my favourite things about it. That I don't know if softness is quite the word, but that feeling of everything having a slightly warm, more natural based feel to it. I love the idea of the oaken tram, mm. and the the concept of this is. I mean, I know we, we kind of only see this very urban environment, but it's an urban environment that is very well blended with the natural environment that it weaves in and out of. Mm. And I that concept is something that is very appealing to me. Yeah. It's very it's very solar punk Art Nouveau mm. flavor, mm. at least when I picture it in my head, that's what I see. The rich golden reds of a mix of yellow of... A sort of Guillermo del Toro autumn or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, curves and archways instead of everything being built skyscraper shaped. Yeah, angular and harsh and jagged. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's kind of how I see the um, the dwarf. To be honest, like it feels like it's a contrast to the dwarf, like with the dwarf in in uh, Princess Thieves. I mm. see it kind of like it's that Art Deco where it's more angular, more almost brutalist. Yes, and then you come here, and it's how do I put this? It is Art Nouveau, and it's very, very natural. Like the the Rivendell, uh, like to the uh, yeah yeah. yeah. Mm. So 
this has been touched on a few times, which I'm very happy to use this to spiral into our last question of the evening, which is that I think for a lot of us, one of our favorite concepts about the world of autumn is the idea of color as a means of both self-reflection, but like profound expression as well. And we know what colors each of your characters have chosen for themselves, but what would your color be? Um, pink. No. <laughs> definitely pink. Um, pink and, and green. They're my two favorite colors. And to me, they both represent life and healing. And with pink, it's more like flowers. It's more vibrancy. It's more getting out of my shell. And then with green, it's more healing and helping people and wanting to be a better person. I really like the green that Penny chooses and why, because she and I are so very similar. But I think my green would be more like verdigris, like the pale, pale, pale blue green. You know, the color of, of a Mountain Dew Baja blast. <laughs> just just to keep it high class. I, the <laughs> poetry <clearly>. of color. <laughs> I just think it's a really pretty color. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've always been partial to greens myself, and that's one of the weird aspects to color theory as depicted, at the very least in the conversation that is present in the book itself, is that it all tends to be lean very much towards, not primaries specifically, but towards the general, like, this is a distinct color on the rainbow, and not enough to the kinds of colors that are actually a combination of two colors with i guess the exception of purple which is also weird because purple is kind of a combination of red and blue and then also harry goes on to be like no no no, i'm not having purple i'm having red and then blue separate not combined mm-hmm. mine would definitely be blue i think that's mm. it's my favorite question mark color tends to vary a little bit but blue is definitely one of the colors that I feel like I look best in and also in new century the presence of blue tends to indicate the desire and ability to communicate which are very important things to me I I'm a communicator by nature whatever form that happens to take so I think I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder now at the, the canvas of the Stonespring Maidens front cover and the outfit design that Penny has, that gorgeous leaf style coat mm. with, the, mm-hmm. with the long jeweled gloves and the wide collar. I love that outfit. It's so gorgeous, mm. isn't it? But imagine that, but in the points where it's green, mine would be blue. A, a sort of a combination of a cornflower blue where her green is pale and a, a kind of a more vivid, almost like a royal blue, but a little bit more purpley where mm. hers is, is dark green. And I think that would be my favourite outfit if I had that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. I suppose that if I was to have a colour, I'm not even sure I would know what this represents, but uh, like a lot of us here, I think green, but a sort of forest deep green and potentially silver as a color that uh, I think would be something that 
to me entails a sort of duality between hope and desire for beauty but also a sadness as well maybe i like that's an odd thing to sort of analyze in yourself but i could see i could see that being like green laced with the silver i will leave my own color to another point i'll probably just edit it in later on because as <laughs> i predicted my mom is already trying to get my attention via phone so mm. thank you all of you for doing this with us obviously it's sort of expected at this point at the culmination of a new story but i really just loved having all of you here at the same time to be able to pick your brains to bring back some of that thoughtful energy and fun energy in two weeks well <laughs> a little bit longer than that i i'm recording this now but obviously i have no idea how it's going to play out in terms of release schedule and everything like that but uh listeners next time we return to you we will have the voices of well <laughs> the voices of we will have felix quist orion richardson and maya Surus back to talk about their characters for Stone Spring Maidens. And we'll see all of you on another trip through the wind door. Take care. That brings us to the end of our first Behind the White Scars interview. And after the outro, you get some outtakes from our recording itself. To close us out, a piece of music from an artist I haven't been able to share nearly as much as I want. Of all the singer-songwriters, she has been one of my long favorites, her first album having been introduced to me by my father. This particular song was her first hit in the UK, even though her breakout in the US wasn't until much later with a song some people might be more familiar with, Luca. I picked this one because there is some imagery here that feels very Harry Arlington. And it's my podcast, so I get to pick the music. Yeah. Until next time, this is Suzanne Vega with Marlena on the Wall. Even if I am in love with you, all this to say would stick to you. Observe the blood, the rose tattoo of the fingerprint on me from you. Other evidence has shown that you and I are still alone. We skirt around the danger zone and don't talk about it. Marlena watches from the wall. Her mocking smile says it all. She records the rise and fall of every soldier passing. But the only soldier now is me. I'm fighting things I cannot see. I think it's called my destiny, but I am changing. Marlena. shop with a sawdust dream don't give away the goods too soon is what she might have told me and i tried so hard to resist when you held me in your handsome fist and reminded me of the night we kissed and of why i should be leaving Marlene who watches from the wall her mocking smile says it all she records the rise and fall of every soldier passing but the only soldier now is me i'm fighting things i cannot see I think it's called my destiny that I am changing Marlena on the wall Marlena 
ashes from the wall My gang smile says it all As she records the rise and fall Of every soldier passing But the only soldier now is me I'm fighting things I cannot see I think it's called my destiny And I am changing Marlena The rose tattoo of the fingerprints on me from you Other evidence has shown that you and I are still alone We skirt around the danger zone and don't talk about it later And I tried so hard to resist when you held me in your handsome fist And reminded me of the night we kissed and of why I should be leaving Elena watches from the wall, a mocking smile says it all She records the rise and fall of every man who's been here The only one here now is me Fighting things I cannot see I think it's called my destiny And I am changing We're like we're equal parts just thrilled to have everyone here and terrified because we've only hosted us two and one other or in uh, the case of the behind the white, white scarves two other people three is unprecedented territory the window could collapse at any moment we just have to <laughs> we, well thank you for the heads up, up. Yeah. <laughs> the evil plan is working Mm. We have it propped open with duct tape and a prayer, but you know, like no one stare at it or acknowledge its existence otherwise. Hey, hey, hey. I did use some stale black lavar on that. It should hold up a little better now. Okay, yeah. well, <laughs> if we can count on anyone breaking the fourth wall, it will definitely be Loretta. <laughs> oh, see, this is awkward. Both my ex and my wife on the same call. <laughs> oh, did, did we not send you the guest list beforehand? I'm sorry. To have many of you in one space at a time is just sort of like just my my, my poor little brain is overloaded at, at at you wonderful people and the wonderful things that you have helped create and getting to have you all uh, together. To proceed with the, as I have joked before, all new, all different behind the white scarves. <laughs> it's new. It's frightening. Mm. It's lemon scented. Mm. No matter what we do to try to get rid of it. Mm. It's wow and how. <laughs> and now. And now. Yes, I was just trying to say exactly. I know I'm, what I'm thinking of his intro. It's like na 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 white scarves, white scarves, white scarves, white scarves. Oh shit, where'd it go? Greg, Toby, you can't say you didn't know what you were getting into. I no, we knew exactly what we were getting into. We just had no earthly way to prepare for it. But I will say that 
Uh, Sharon, I sympathise with the uh, fireworks being off in the distance because five minutes before we started recording, I was hearing fireworks going off and going like, ah, crap. But you know what? If we hear them, that just adds to the running joke that finally some cartographers are seeing to the Wendigos that are outside our <laughs> recording studio. That's very true, yeah. Mm. Live action battles, that's what we call <laughs> production <laughs> values. You, just, yeah. you bank that, yep. yeah. And, and <laughs> considering... If you strap the Wendigos to the rockets, you get really great colors. Mm. You, you kind of have to have an umbrella out so you don't get hit with flying debris, but the... the it's just spectacular. It's the only fireworks show with a splatter zone. Mm. <laughs> the coordination is something else as well, you know. I've always thought that the quote-unquote Wendigo that were represented by the motorcycles going by Toby's house were always just like, you know, the, the, the unruly fans, basically, you know, doing their thing. Like, they're supportive, but they want us to do this thing or that thing and argue when we're mm. not doing things the way that we, we they want them to. So. so, essentially, Greg and I don't have a toxic fandom, so we had to invent one ourselves, you know, <laughs> to make us seem bigger than we are. Mm. And it's just, like, embodied by a particular crowd of Wendigos with too much time on their hands. <laughs> And, and, and when, you know, when they don't have too much time on their hands, they'll go to the host club and just kind of enjoy tea. Mm. <laughs> yes, we want the same things you want, civilization. <laughs> My uh, anime people will know exactly what I'm referencing. <laughs> <laughs> Ow, crap. Why in the world am I... Of all the things I could have picked for things to fidget with, why did I pick... Th Ow, thumbtacks. That... <laughs> Only that you can answer that question, Greg. <laughs> And that's okay. The first step is admitting it. The second step is Never. Getting it over. All right. All right, kids. Like, don't try this at home. We are a group of semi professionals. Like, we are. Or yeah. at least we pretend to be. <laughs> uh, how many injuries will be done by the time of our first group recording interview session, Greg? Shall I get a tally up? <laughs> I think I think we'll be fine. I think that we <clears throat> we got some experience under our belt, and at the very least, uh, any mistakes that we make, people will never know because it will be gone in the mysterious edit. Um, <laughs> except I'll keep it anyway and throw it in for laughs at the end, as I always do. So mm, you never know. know. Release it later on for extra money as a director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, with... you guys get paid for this? No. Uh... <laughs> I just embezzle money through the Wendigo uh, sound effects fund. I do it for the love of the craft. In Harry's case, Theo very liked Judy. Ooh, wow, okay, that was an interesting um, 40 and stuff. You know, I know we're twins, but... <laughs> <laughs> I have so much respect for my sister. Come on. I'm the pushy one. <laughs> Damn straight, truth you tell. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt this, Greg. Like, I just kind yeah. of see it play. <laughs> That's how we always feel about whenever Loretta gets on a tangent. She... <laughs> 
Went a bit white scars after dark there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> this is this yeah, is just I that. You, I swear I will always respect your back. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I think it jumped five feet over that. I think it's funny. It's just from an ace perspective. I'm like, hmm, what interesting creatures these humans are. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, I, all I can think of is just that Star Wars prequel meme of just, this is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Thank you very much for having us on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got another picture of Kiki. Hi, Kiki. <laughs> she has she has been staring at me this entire time. <laughs> You're talking she's, to somebody. It's right not here. me. What's going on? <laughs> uh, this, this is why I don't let you in this... the room when I'm actually recording. Yes. <laughs> you are I think Kiki. I think Kiki is thinking, this is the longest and most involved command I've heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I lost track three hours ago, to be fair. So you're gonna have to start again. She's like, You're 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 having fun, but it's not with me. What do? <laughs> how, how how do dog get involved on in on this? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed.